Andrew, it's great to be with you and uh, new life. Good morning. I'd rather be with you in person, but uh, this is better than nothing. Uh, let me start by a reminiscence uh, back many, many years ago when I was a student at U of T. Uh, I used to attend services occasionally at the Avenue Road Church, and I didn't realize until years after it was the church that A.W. Tozer had pastored until he died a few years before my time there. And uh, one of his amazing quotes has resurfaced recently and been publicized, and it's this. He said, a frightened world needs a fearless church. And uh, in the face of massive fear, uh, fear that had stopped the armies of Israel in their tracks, David made a decision in that famous story. Uh, He ran toward the source of fear with his slingshot in his hand. Uh, Of all the people on the face of the earth, Christians are those who ought to know how to deal with fear. And that is the testimony of church history. Just consider these few brief examples, and many, many others could be added to them. Uh, Back in the third century, between AD 250 and 270, a terrible plague, which was thought to be either measles or smallpox, devastated the Roman Empire. And at the height of what came to be known as the Plague of Cyprian, which was after the Bishop Cyprian, who chronicled what was happening, uh, every day in Rome alone, 5,000 people were dying. So you can imagine. Uh, Now, that plague coincided with the first empire-wide persecution of Christians uh, under the Emperor Decius. And Decius and other uh, enemies of the church actually blamed Christians for the plague. But that claim was undermined by two inconvenient facts, one of which was that Christians were dying just like everyone else. And the other fact was that Christians were caring for the victims of the plague, even their pagan neighbors, in a way that uh, was extraordinary. And that wasn't a new phenomenon either, because in the previous century, which is only 100 years after Christ, there was another plague called the Antonine Plague. and The historian Rodney Stark describes in his book, The Rise of Christianity, how Christians stayed in the afflicted cities when the pagan leaders and even the physicians fled. And Candida Moss, who's a professor of uh, early Christian history at Notre Dame University, uh, she wrote that an epidemic that seemed like the end of the world uh, actually promoted the spread of Christianity because by their actions in the face of possible death, Christians showed their neighbors that Christianity is worth dying for. And many, many centuries on, listen to these words of Charles Spurgeon in the midst of the great cholera epidemic uh, in London in the 1850s. And he said this, All day and sometimes all night long, I went about from house to house. I saw men and women dying. And oh, how glad they were to see my face. When many were afraid to enter their houses, lest they should catch the deadly disease, we who had no fear about such things found ourselves most gladly listened to when we spoke of Christ and of things divine. And finally, uh, this report has recently come in from China once the dust has begun to settle there. And I'll just read from it. In contrast with the chaos that the city of Wuhan saw in the early days of the outbreak, 
uh, as the coronavirus virus paralyzed the government and exposed the incompetence of the local authorities, churches often delivered masks and protective gear accurately and efficiently, while the rest of China recoiled in horror as the government-sponsored uh, Red Cross failed to distribute much-needed resources and even actually uh, sold from them. And uh, as uh, many of the N95 uh, masks lay idle in the warehouse, uh, government warehouse, or got siphoned off by corrupt officials. Uh, pastors and church members delivered, and one congregation alone delivered 400 masks, 1,000 gloves, 1,000 protective goggles to the central hospital, which was where the deceased whistleblower, who I believe was a believer, uh, was practicing. And most of those donations had been sent by overseas believers. And an additional 30,000 face masks were handed out beyond that on the street by church members who uh, attach gospel tracts to them. And there are numerous accounts of Christians there who assisted the sick and cared for their neighbors and uh, who didn't have access even to hospital beds and were turned away from hospitals. And uh, this I could go on, but I'll just uh, leave it there. Uh, it's clear that the Christians in that stricken city somehow overcame their fear and were motivated by the love of Christ to reach out to their neighbors uh, and do what others uh, would never have done. And so that's a powerful message. Uh, In a frightened world, we need a fearless church. And if we look at Hebrews chapter 2, in verse 14 and 15, it makes a statement. Since, therefore, the children share in flesh and blood, he himself, that's Jesus, likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. Now, we know reading the Old Testament that it presents God as a great hero and a great champion and warrior who marches out against all of his enemies to destroy them. For instance, Isaiah says, the Lord goes out like a mighty man, like a man of war. He stirs up his zeal and shows himself mighty against his foes. And when we read these verses in Hebrews that I've just read, quoted, uh, Jesus, like uh, God in the Old Testament, Jesus is pictured as marching forth to destroy his enemies. And the greatest enemy uh, is the devil, and the most powerful weapon of the devil is fear. Now, none of us should be alarmed or ashamed of admitting that we battle against fear. Uh, Fighting fear is fighting Satan. Uh, And there's nothing to be ashamed of in admitting that we're fighting Satan. Uh, But fear is a killer. It eats up our energy. It incapacitates us. Uh, It tries to push God out of the equation by causing us to believe that we're alone and there's nobody to help us. Fear causes us to make stupid, irrational, and impulsive decisions like buying tons of toilet paper. And in the end, uh, those kind of decisions do more damage often than the original problem itself. So we shouldn't be ashamed to admit we're afraid. It's normal and natural and unavoidable to be confronted by fear. Uh, The question is, what do we do with it? Some fears are a good fear. They're fear. of not crossing the road when there's uh, cars and trucks coming down it, a fear of not doing foolish things, that's true. 
Uh, that's a signal to avoid real danger. But fear very often takes on a, a sinister dimension in that it tends to blow up even small dangers to the point where we lose perspective and we become incapacitated. Uh, the answer is to take our fears to God. And what this scripture in Hebrews shows us is that all the fears we faced in our life are basically rooted and grounded in the one fear, which is the fear of death. Uh, at our most desperate and fearful moments, uh, when our heart cries out, what is going to happen to me? Am I going to be left here to die? God answers the question in those famous words at the end of Romans chapter 8. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Jesus Christ our Lord. So God sent Jesus to die in our behalf. He sent Jesus to take our punishment on his shoulders in order that we should never, ever be separated from his love. Physical death for a Christian is nothing more than the doorway to eternal glory. Uh, a lady contacted me from England um, today uh, to say, uh, my father who's been very sick is coming home. And uh, I wrote back to her saying, I I'm so sorry. May the Lord be with you. And she said, no, he's coming home, home, home. And of course, for a Christian to come home is to come home to Jesus, which I thought is what she was referring to. But actually, it wasn't. He'd recovered. But home is heaven. It's our real home. And uh, in one sense, we if, if you hear a report that I've died, don't believe it because I haven't. I've only changed my place of residence. And so... Uh, God helps us in knowing that the battle that we fight against fear was won at the cross. Obviously, it has to be applied to our lives, which is not something that can happen in a minute. But we do have a first step. And the first step in winning the battle against fear is to ask God to send his spirit into our hearts. Um, we can't conquer fear by uh, yelling at it or screaming at it or trying to imagine things or make uh, sort of fake declarations of faith in our, in our, um, with our lips that we don't actually believe in our heart. But it isn't us that has the answer. It's God that has the answer. But fortunately, his spirit is available to us. And so when we're overcome by fear and when we live in a society that's overcome by fear and we're supposed to have some answers for it, then uh, the first step that we can take and the most important is to go to the Lord and to ask him for the presence of his spirit. Because when his spirit comes into our heart, he focuses things. It's just like if I take my glasses off, I can't see very much. If I put them back on again, things come into focus. When we look with the eyes of the spirit, things come into a different focus. And that's what we need to do. And if all you can do in your moment of panic is to cry out, God, help me, that's all you need to do. The rest is up to the Lord. So I want to talk just for a second about the difference between a good fear and bad fear. 
is the fear of God is a good thing. And it's the root of every kind of good fear. The fear of God puts a boundary line of protection around our conduct. Uh, we, just like we put boundary lines of protection around our children, God puts boundary lines of protection through fearing doing foolish things, fearing disobeying his will and walking into difficulty. So that's that. So fear isn't always a bad thing. But there are those bad fears that are planted in our lives not by God, but by the enemy. And I think there's a bit of a difference between the two in that godly fear is fear of a real consequence. If we actually do this, something negative is going to happen to us. You know, if you go out and overspend your budget, you're going to have a credit card balance that you don't want at the end of the month. But uh, fears planted in our heart by the enemy are often perceived dangers rather than real dangers, or they might be rooted in a real danger, but it's blown up out of all proportion. And uh, part of the lie that comes on the back of that fear is that we won't be provided for, that we'll become sick or die, or we'll suffer relationship breakdown, we'll lose our job, everything will fall apart. And uh, is it possible? that we may face financial stress in this life? Is it possible that we may face relationship issues, job challenges, or become sick at some point? Of course it's possible, because we live in a fallen world with fallen people around us. But the promise of the Bible first is that we'll be protected spiritually. And the promise of the Bible second is that in the same way that it was with the Israelites who had to endure the plagues of Egypt, and had to go through a lot of that suffering, yet they had protection from the very worst of it. And so God, I believe, comes in and gives us reassurance that when fear blows things out of proportion, we need to come back to a place of peace with God and receive assurance that even if we can't figure it out in our minds how it's going to happen, that somehow God is going to come alongside and help us and get us through it. And we can look at statistics that are coming. We've got so much information coming down the pike at us every time we turn on the television. It's almost like we don't need more information. We just need uh, a, a, a godly lens through which to view the information that we have and gain perspective on it. Nobody really knows what's going to happen a week or two or three weeks from now. Uh, Chances are it won't be as bad as we think. But in truth, God is the only one that knows. But what we do know is that Jesus will still be on the throne one week, two weeks, and three weeks from now. And he will be just as committed to caring for us and looking after us as he is today or he has been at any other time in our life. So. What if we get sick? Well, God is our healer. What if finance runs short? Well, God is our provider. Uh, What if we lose a friendship? Or what if we suffer marriage or family stress in this life? Well, God's our restorer. Uh, What if we feel alone? Well, the Lord is our shepherd. Uh, And even if we face death, Jesus is the resurrection and the life, and we'll live with him forever. So whatever happens, his promise, which is absolute, is that he will not abandon us. And the bottom line is your life, my life, is not in the hands of people, circumstances, or any virus. It's in the hands of Almighty God. Because he said, 
I will never leave you or forsake you. And so we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? So if we fail to confront fear, fear has a way of taking over. And when fear becomes a lifestyle, it morphs into anxiety. And that's when we're constantly expecting some form of disaster to happen, even when there's no rational reason for us to expect that. And there will be people who come out of this current situation in a prolonged state of anxiety when long past the time that there's any coronavirus to worry about. Well, to be free from anxiety about tomorrow means we need the Holy Spirit to meet us today. He meets us by giving us the antidote to anxiety, which is faith. Now, faith isn't something that you can conjure up or create. It's a gift. It's a gift of God. What is faith? Faith is the confidence that God will act on your behalf. How do we get it? We can't think ourselves into it, can't feel ourselves into it, but we can ask for it. And actually, that's all we have to do. And Jesus said, ask and you'll receive. He wasn't just talking about financial provision or health or whatever. He was talking about the peace that passes understanding. Notice when Paul talks about the peace that passes understanding and keeps our thoughts and minds in Christ Jesus, he's presuming that there will be circumstances swirling around us so that it isn't that they're all obliterated. It's just that the peace comes in and surpasses them. It is greater than them. It transcends them to the point where it keeps our thoughts, where the word is a a military word, meaning it puts a, a barrier, a wall of protection around us against those thoughts and against that anxiety and against all that stuff that the enemy pumps uh, into our lives or attempts to pump into our lives. Faith cures fear by filling the vacuum that fear lives in. So faith gives us heart, sorry, faith gives us peace in our heart that God is going to act on our behalf today and tomorrow and the day after tomorrow. And we don't have to worry about tomorrow. Jesus said, just ask God to meet you today. Tomorrow is in my hands. We try to control control tomorrow by our thoughts. We'll go beyond the grace of God. Just ask him for his grace today. And if he keeps you today, surely to goodness, in the same way he kept you yesterday, surely to goodness, he'll be able to keep you tomorrow. So the battle against fear is real. Most of us live in it every day. Uh, there's no shame in admitting that. But we have that Jesus already won that battle at the cross. And he's waiting there to apply it in our lives right now. Uh, last November, we were on our way down to uh, Michigan for several weeks to work with the churches there. And when we started off, it was a cold morning. But everything was fine. Uh, The skies were bright blue. About 45 minutes into our journey toward uh, Lake Huron, some clouds appeared. Then there were a few snowflakes. And pretty soon, you can hardly see where you were going. And uh, we found ourselves behind a big truck. And we hung in for the duration. And about a half an hour or so later, the skies cleared. The sun came out. And at the other end of that, there wasn't one flake of snow 
on the ground. And that's uh, how life goes in the Ontario snow belt, which I can tell you from many years of experience. Now, I wasn't worried. Why? Because before we left the house, I checked the radar. And I could see on the radar, there was a streamer coming right off the lake. I knew roughly from the mat where it would start. I knew roughly where it would end. And life is a lot like that. Things start off fine, but then a cloud appears on the horizon, and pretty soon it develops into a storm, sometimes a pretty big one. And like you, Elaine and I have been in a few of those storms. At the time, uh, you don't really know when it's going to end, and you don't know how you're going to go out of it, how you're going to get out of it, but you just hang on. And that's when we need to look at the radar. See, the radar tells us that Jesus Christ is Lord over everything. The radar tells us that Jesus has conquered fear because he's destroyed the creator of fear. Yes, tribulation will come. We shouldn't be surprised. We're in a battle. But we have the promise that nothing in heaven or on earth will separate us from the love of God in Jesus Christ, our Lord. And it's that perfect love by the presence of his spirit, which casts out fear. So the good thing is, if we know that tribulation is coming, we also know that it's ending. Just like the streamer coming off the lake, it won't last forever. And when the radar, or what the radar shows, is that God is in charge of everything. So when a streamer comes off the lake of life and hits you personally, or as now the whole world, be assured that you and me and the rest of us will come through the other end of it, just like we did uh, that day driving to Michigan. And if you're a believer, you will get to your destination. God guarantees it. If you doubt me, read the end of the book. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you this morning uh, as we're gathered together for the assurance that Jesus Christ is Lord of all, period. There's nothing that is not under his lordship. There is nothing that can upset his lordship. And if we are safe in him, then there's nothing that can defeat us. And so I pray, Lord, for each and every one of us, because we all, we're all in an atmosphere of uncertainty in terms of external circumstances, but some more so than others for various reasons. And I pray particularly for those who are really affected that way, for those who are concerned for their health, concern for their economic security, concern for other factors at this time. I pray, Holy Spirit, would you reach out now to those that are listening to me speaking, and instead of hearing me, they would hear you. And Holy Spirit, please come into our hearts and where we've been in turmoil. Lord, thank you that even if we're cut off, even from fellow believers because of the current circumstances, we're never cut off from you. And so I pray that you would presence yourself and manifest yourself now uh, in the home of every person who is listening to this and give your peace. And I thank you, Father, that that is a peace that, can, that, that nothing in this world can ever take away from us. I thank you, Father, for that assurance today that we can boldly come before you in the confidence that you'll never leave, let us down. and. Uh, that that includes every one of us this morning who's put our trust in you. And finally, Lord, I pray that there would be enough not only for us, but like the stories that I quoted at the beginning 
that we could live in an overflow. Maybe there's a neighbor or a friend or someone that we can encourage and help that doesn't know you. Uh, an act of mercy or kindness that we can perform. Uh, to be a, a support to people who don't have faith, to encourage them to turn to you. Lord, I pray that when all the dust is settled on all of this, that uh, at New Life Church, we would have so much to share in terms of what God has done in our lives and the lives of a lost world around us as we have mirrored uh, the love and the light of Jesus Christ into a, a frightened world that needs a fearless church. In Jesus' name, amen.